Well, I want to read a scripture to you as we get started today. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a red one around you somewhere. Uh, that's our gift to you. But it says this, turn to me and be gracious to me. This is David praying this. Turn to me, God, and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Uh, this is David, who many would say, and the scriptures say, is a man after God's heart. Uh, David made really poor decisions in his life. He did some things I'm guessing he wished he wouldn't have done. Uh, he also did a lot of great things, but there were these moments in his life where he felt like he was alone. And this is my prayer for all of us this morning as we continue in this conversation about loneliness, is that God would turn to us, that he would be gracious to us. For many of us are lonely, that we struggle with loneliness. And I pray that in these moments that he would be close to us. I spoke last week, if you weren't here, we talked about the reason that we're doing this series. And I think that's important that you understand uh, why. Uh, Sometimes we take a book of the Bible and we'll go through it verse by verse and we'll spend a long time in that. But just over the last couple months, I've just heard more conversations about loneliness. I've had more conversations with you about it. And we talked last week about uh, those near to us who we know who have either attempted or committed suicide. And it's not always about loneliness, but I just wonder in those moments if they felt lonely. And so just knowing those things, I felt like, okay, we, we need to have this discussion. We want to be a church. I want to be a pastor that, that knows the needs of our community, the, the needs that I have as well, and we pay attention to those. And so loneliness, uh, I see over and over again as I read articles, as I hear conversations. I read this week about the, the pain and the, the uh, cruel punishment of solitary confinement. And how that's the worst thing you could do to someone is force them to be alone. Uh, I I read this week that it's the number one reason most people report going to counseling. Now, we've talked about this, and and I say that counseling is a good thing. Uh, Most of us probably should have a counselor, if not all of us, uh, that that is good. But most counselors have said that the number one reason most people come is they claim it's because of loneliness. Uh, Vivek Murphy, Murphy, who was the Surgeon General, I, I talked about last week, he made the statement in the Harvard Business Review that the world is suffering from an epidemic of loneliness. And I've added to that the word silent. Because I think for many people who struggle with loneliness, we're not quick to admit that. We may not want to tell other people that we feel unwanted, that we feel like we don't belong that we don't have any close relationships. That's often not something we really want to admit to one another. And so we see that it's an epidemic, but I think it's a silent one. Uh, Murthy says this, during my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes. It was loneliness. The elderly man who came to our hospital every few weeks seeking relief from chronic pain was also looking for human connection. He was lonely. The middle-aged woman battling advanced HIV who had no one to call to inform she was sick. She was lonely too. I found that loneliness was often in the background of clinical illness, contributing to disease and making it harder for patients to cope and to heal. Loneliness, he wrote, is associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, and anxiety. I mean, this isn't just something uh, scriptural that we're going to pay attention to. 
But the reason we're going to pay attention to it is because it's not good for our health. That it's proven scientifically that loneliness is causing problems all around us. Uh, my mentor is a guy named Jay Height, and he lives in Indianapolis. Uh, and he serves really in a uh, high poverty area on the eastern side of, uh, of Indianapolis. And they're doing really creative things to serve the community. But they realized that those who were calling 911 over and over and over again was often because they were lonely. The hospital was talking to Jay and Shepherd Community and talking about the need. And so Shepherd Community hired a police officer and a paramedic. They're paying the salaries of a, a police officer and a paramedic and then gave them back to the community. And what's happening is when they get these phone calls, they call Adam, the police officer, who's also working on becoming a pastor, and the paramedic, and they show up at the house. They show up and they spend time with the residents who are lonely. They make sure physically they're okay, but ultimately what's going on is they're lonely. And there's a, a woman who would call weekly because she knew when the, the same firefighters were on shift. She knew the paramedic who was going to come. They were lonely. And they were reaching out for someone who would just care for them and would spend a little time with them. And so we see that loneliness is all around us. And it often settles in like this fog that we often can't see out of. Uh, I lived in Pismo Beach. Uh, we moved in, in May of 2003 to Pismo Beach, um, California, 2004 in California. And it was that year, uh, we got there in May and it was beautiful. Uh, like we loved it. It was 65 to 75 degrees all the time. Our church set up on these cliffs and you could see the ocean. It was just beautiful and we were loving it. But every time we talked about how great the weather was, uh, people would say, just wait till June. Just wait till June. And we kept thinking, man, if May is beautiful, I cannot wait to see June. And then they would say, no, 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 it's, it's not like that. It's June gloom. And so as you can see, this was Pismo Beach in June every morning. There would this be this marine layer, this fog that would roll in. And people literally would talk about the gloom and the depression that would settle in on the people who lived in Pismo Beach. Right? Because ultimately what Pismo normally looked like in this next picture was that. Right? And so it's often in the midst of the gloom of the fog that we can forget what things could look like or what they will look like. We kind of feel stuck and isolated and alone. And so every morning in Pismo in June, uh, you would have this come and settle in. And then around noon every day, as the sun came up, it would burn it off. It would burn off the gloom and something had to intervene to make that happen. And, and so for us, I think it's the same case. I don't think our loneliness will just go away. We have to pay attention to the, the needs that are going on in our heart and in our mind. And so in loneliness, we feel, as I said, isolated, we feel unimportant, we feel empty, we feel incompetent or incomplete, we feel like we have no purpose, this lack of meaningful relationships. And I said, there's all kinds of reasons this happens. Uh, if you're at a certain age uh, and you're on social media, um, there, there is this comparison trap. It's creating this idea that, that we have to compare ourselves to everyone and everything that we see. We see the best of other people's lives and we weigh that to the reality of our own and, and often that will create loneliness. We feel rejection and loss. We feel in the midst of new life stage or situations or a new job, we can feel lonely. That we feel different. No one understands what we're going through or our situation. 
what that looks like. Being busy creates loneliness. And as I said, comparison. There are these feelings of loneliness all around us. And last week I talked about two main things. And I talked about the first one was the separation from God. The, the beginning when Adam and Eve are created and, and God tells them they can participate and eat in every tree in the garden except that one. And Adam and Eve partake in the one and in that moment they realize the decision they had made. And what, what it says is they were naked. They realized they were naked and they were vulnerable. And they realized their shame and their regret and they covered themselves with fig leaves. We talked about this last week. Those aren't the most comfortable things to cover yourselves with. And so even in the midst of their shame, they tried to find something to cover themselves and just caused more pain. And then they hide from God. That They move away from God. But as I said, God always comes looking. God is always pursuing us. And he calls out, where are you? Where are you? And so in our shame, in our regret, we will move away from God. But God is moving towards us. The early theologian uh, Augustine, he said this, our hearts are restless, O God, until they find rest in thee. And so you, you will be restless. Uh, whether it's secrets maybe that you hold and you feel like you can't share with someone if it's the pain from walking away or running from God. And if we're honest, it's probably not really a walking away or a running. It's just small decisions that lead us away from that. Whether it's spending less time reading scripture or in prayer or just making little decisions that we feel aren't that big of a deal, but we slowly move away from God. And that will often lead to loneliness. And kind of the, yeah, duh, Kyle moment is the separation from one another that leads to loneliness. That in the beginning, Adam's created and everything is perfect. He's in perfect relationship with God. And God says, it's not good for man to be alone. And he creates Eve, this suitable helper that will come along Adam. So from the very beginning, we see that we were created to belong to one another. That life is not meant to live alone that things are better together than they are when we are separate. But yet things happen and we withdraw from one another and we feel like there's not a chance to connect. Uh, I'm sure most of you are aware, Serena Williams, uh, just not too long ago in the U.S. Open, was treated very unfairly, uh, I think, because as a black woman, uh, things happen to her that don't happen to uh, other tennis players. If you've seen John McEnroe or most men who uh, fight back with a uh, official, they're treated very differently than Serena Williams uh, was. But uh, Serena Williams got in trouble. And the reason she got in trouble was because she received coaching. That the first penalty as she is playing, as she looks over and supposedly the coach made a signal to her. And in tennis, you are completely alone on the court. You cannot receive coaching while you're out there. And so for Serena Williams on the court, surrounded by people, she has no support system. And in that moment, as she looks over to a coach, whether she receives some or not, she's penalized for it. I think a lot of us live in our lives kind of as a tennis player. That we have no support system, we have no one backing us up, we have no one coming along side of us. When we're not supposed to live as tennis players, but I think we're supposed to live as boxers. I was thinking about uh, boxers in uh, one of the greatest movies, uh, the Rocky movies. And if you know his trainer, you have Mickey who is there. And I, 
I got on a tangent this week as I was thinking about Rocky and I watched way too much uh, Rocky episodes on uh, YouTube. But, but right, in, in the moments when Rocky is getting beat by Apollo Creed, right, and he, he comes over to the side, he, he knows he has someone in his corner. Who, when, when Rocky wants to give up, Mickey says exactly what Rocky needs to hear. That the man in the corner treats the wounds and the cuts. He puts more Vaseline on his face so as the punches come, they deflect. I think a better picture of how we're supposed to do life is as a boxer. That we are supposed to be connected to one another. That we, we need people in our corner and we feel that. And when we don't have that, we become lonely. I was really uh, interesting this week as I read a meme that came across social media. It said, one of the miracles that's never talked about in the life of Jesus is the fact that he had 12 close friends in his 30s, right? Uh, If you don't know the scriptures, uh, Jesus had a group of people who were closely connected to him. And that, to many of us, seems like a miracle. That into your 20s, your 30s, your 50s, your 60s, your 70s. The idea to, to lack meaningful relationships and the fact that Jesus did, that may be one of the greatest miracles that we see. And so knowing all of this, I said, okay, we, we have to pay attention. And so we, we kind of had part A last week, and I'm going to continue into that this week. And the first thing I want to point out is that Jesus also had moments where he was alone. And we're going to move backwards just real quickly. We're, we're going to look at the cross uh, just first, that as Jesus hangs on the cross and the sins of the world are placed onto his shoulders, in Matthew 27, 46, Jesus cries this out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the moment where Jesus hangs on a cross with the weight of the world on him, he's alone. Not as he only alone because people who were near to him had really walked away out of fear for themselves, but he also in the moment of hanging on the cross also felt alone and didn't feel the presence of the Father. That the sin that was on him made it unable for him to recognize that presence. And it was at this point, as we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who had no sin be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our lives are different because of what Jesus did on the cross, but on the cross, Jesus hangs there alone. Before that, he he is arrested and he goes to trial and he rides into Jerusalem the week he is put to death and there is a celebration because Jesus has come. They they lay out palm branches. Uh, They cry out the word Hosanna, which means come save or save quickly. The, The people are excited that Jesus is there. And they think that Jesus is going to come and overthrow the kingdom with power. And then they quickly realize that Jesus is doing something quite different. And in the midst of that, they, they decide to try and trap Jesus to get Jesus and ultimately leads to the arrest of Jesus. And in the midst of that week, Jesus is with those close friends, right? That miracle of having the, that close knit of people around him. But it's at this point that, that people begin to kind of walk away from him. Uh, we read in Luke 22, 54 through 62, it says this. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. Peter, one of the, the closest friends of Jesus, follows at a distance. Verse 55. 
But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight and she looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, I mean, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Jesus, in this moment where he knows what is happening and where he is headed, I think he is longing for someone to walk with him in this journey. And Peter, at a distance, is following along. And I just wonder if there were moments where Peter wanted to come alongside Jesus, but Peter was afraid for his own safety. And so he stayed at a distance. And not only did he stay at a distance, but when other made the claim that he knew him, he said, I don't know him. And I've always thought that this happened away from Jesus, right? That it wasn't near Jesus that this took place. But we see here that, that Jesus looks up and he sees Peter. And Peter in that moment, I think he feels alone, right? He goes out and he weeps bitterly. But I just wonder what Jesus goes through in that moment. That as the pain settles into the heart of Jesus, he knows what he's about to do. One of his closest friends abandons him and walks away and even makes the statement, I don't know him. And so Peter, or Jesus feels the weight of loneliness. And then in the garden, this leads up to all of this where Jesus is wrestling. Jesus is fully human and fully God. And so he experiences what's going to happen and he knows the pain he's going to go through. And there's a part of him in his humanness. He's just not sure of what's next. And we read verse 36 in Matthew 26. It says that Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter, one of his closest friends, and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch or stay awake. Pray with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray so that you may not enter into temptation. And the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest Later on, see the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I I don't think we catch the weight of what Jesus is going through in this moment. I think Jesus understands and we see that he is willing to do what has to be done. But three times he is sorrowful and he is pleading with the father. And in the midst of that, he just needs to know his friends are there. He's just asking them, would you just stay awake? Like, is that much, too much to ask? Just 
Just don't go to, don't go to sleep. And Jesus goes away and he comes back and each time they are asleep. Jesus feels the weight of loneliness. And so if you're here today and you wonder if anybody gets it, if you've been able to confess or to talk to someone about your feelings of being alone, not just spending time alone, but not being near or with someone, then I just want you to hear today that Jesus gets it, that God understands. But Jesus was willing to do what he needed to do for all of us. And for us, I think for us to get to that point, where we move out of our loneliness in some areas, we have to understand what God is doing on our behalf. I can't spend a lot of time, but I think there's some dangers to loneliness I just want to pay attention to. Health isn't the only one. I think many of us can become codependent on people, people that are not good for us, but we're afraid of being alone, and so we'll continue in relationships that are extremely unhealthy, where one person enables another person to continue to do things that aren't good. And so when we're lonely, we think, man, I just, I have to have somebody. And so we'll stay connected into that. And if you're in that, would you just reach out for help? Would you just speak to someone and ask for some guidance and wisdom? But I think more importantly, we look for something to fill the void, right? We, we look for something in our loneliness to fill that void in our heart. Uh, it's like being extremely hungry, right? I thought of this in like a fancy meal, right? And, and the thought of being extremely hungry and wanting something to eat, but filling the void of loneliness with things that are unhealthy is like just eating cardboard, right? Of being served something that you think is going to satisfy the desires of your heart and then realizing it's going to do nothing for you. Many of us, if not all of us, in the moments of feeling lonely, we will look and long for something. And we will fill that void with something that will often lead to more trouble. In Ecclesiastes, uh, there's a guy named Solomon who they say is the richest, wisest man to ever uh, live. And this is how he starts Ecclesiastes. It says this, The word of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That's encouraging, right? If you read uh, Ecclesiastes 37 times in this small book, uh, Solomon's going to say, it's just meaningless. Uh, Everything under the sun is meaningless. It's in vain. Uh, Solomon had 700 wives and 500 concubines, so he wasn't lacking in that area. Uh, He had all the money he could want. He had honor and power. He had wisdom and all of that, everything Solomon's looking for, he comes to a point in his life where he says, it's all meaningless. It's meaningless. The things I had trying to fill the void in my life, it's done nothing for me. And in the midst of that, in the midst of saying everything's meaningless, we find this writing in Ecclesiastes 4, 4 through 12. Ecclesiastes 4, 4 through 12. I'm going to read a little bit and then the main part will be on the screen. It says this, And I saw that all the labor and all the achievements spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. Better one hand of tranquility, if you remember this, 
uh, we did a series talking about uh, money and having enough. And, and he says, better one hand of tranquility than two handfuls with toil and a chasing after the wind. It's better to have just a little than to have our hands full trying to fill a void in our life. It's like chasing after the wind. You will never get it. Verse seven, he says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For who am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless, a miserable business. And then he says this. This is often read at weddings, but this scripture is much more than just a scripture for a wedding. It says this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I said last week, um, part of the responsibility as we think about loneliness are, is put on the shoulders of the rest of us. As we recognize lonely people in our lives, if we think that someone might be lonely, it's like asking someone who is deep in a hole to make their way out when they don't have the resources or the tools or the ability. It's like standing over the hole and saying, you can do it, just come out of the hole. Or it's the person who is drowning and we expect them to save themselves. It won't happen. And so for many of us, whether it's depression or anxiety, uh, if it's other seasons of loneliness that we know about, I think it's our responsibility as the church, as a family of people to pay attention to those things. And so the key, I think, to part of this is learning how to be friends. I think we lost that. I think we think we're connected to people, but we don't spend time as much. Just this week, just maybe you haven't noticed this. I've been paying more attention to this. Everyone's on their phone. Everywhere. Like I go to pick up my kid and I've been leaving my phone, uh, my son, I've been leaving my phone in my car and I will walk up kind of looking to interact with people as we're at a new school and everyone. It's just all the time, right? It's not just there, but it's in our homes. We, we have lost the idea of being friends. And so just, just quickly, I want to give you just a couple things that come out of this that are the importance of being a good friend, how we do that, and why it matters when we think of loneliness. The first thing, verse 9, it says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. I think if we're going to help people get out of loneliness, we help others succeed. We kind of live in this culture uh, where things breed selfishness, right? I have to take care of myself first, and I think selfishness actually creates this environment of loneliness, not necessarily for us, but I think other people, we become absorbed with our, with ourself. And so when we're selfish or we, we only think about ourselves, we miss out on the opportunity to pay attention to what's going on in the lives of others. And, and then we become surprised when we feel alone or the people around us are alone. The teachings of Jesus in the kingdom of heaven always put the service of others over the service of self. And so I think when we're secure with who we are, when we realize who God has created us to be, we quit comparing and we begin celebrating the good in other people's lives. I think we, we've also lost that. that. That whether it's envy as we read in here or jealousy, it's hard for us to celebrate when things go well for others. Especially if we're in a season of 
despair or loneliness or hurt. But we have to understand that we're better together, that we need one another, that we help one another succeed. And so just a couple of simple ways I would encourage you to do that. As you begin to learn to pray and you pray for yourself, just without going on to the next thing, just pray for someone else. Whatever you've just prayed for yourself, pray for someone else. If you're a parent and you have a child and you pray for your kids, stop in that moment and pray for someone else who you know who has a kid. If you're struggling in your job and you're trying to figure out what to do next or finances, you know someone who's in that same place as you. Pray for them and let them know, hey, I'm praying for you, but, but do it. But really pray for those around you. And, and then use your words. Encourage people. Man, something happens in our lives when someone encourages us. When someone speaks words of life in Proverbs, it says that your tongue, that your words uh, have the power of life and death. That when you speak, you, you either wound or heal, right? And so I think one of the ways we can become better friends and we help other people succeed in the midst of loneliness is we use our words. And sometimes that's all you have. That's all you can do. I'm coaching a couple teams and, and soccer teams and I'm coaching a U8 team. And on this U8 team, I have several boys who are young six-year-olds who have never played soccer before. And so we've been working hard and we've been practicing and we had our first game last week and my boys were all excited and and I had no idea how it was going to go. Didn't go well. And um, we lost our game last uh, week 15 to nothing. I think. It might have been worse. I quit at 15 and uh, it it did not go well. And it was in those moments, like, I wanted to go out there and play, right? I, I wanted to just take on these other kids and, uh, right, and do my part to help them, which I couldn't because they're six and seven, I'm 37, and so that wouldn't uh, go well. But in that moment, all I had was my words, right? They would come over, and I would tell them, hey, I, I, I liked how you went hard, or I, I, I like that you're trying your best. Or, all I had were my words because there was nothing else I could do in that moment, Saturday, they played the same team, and I was at meetings. They lost 17 to nothing. Now, there's nothing. I, at this point, I'm not sure how the rest of the season's going to go, um, but I have my words. And I will encourage these boys, and we will have fun. And so for some of you, you are in moments with someone, and you know they feel alone. And you want to intervene. You want to do something for them. Maybe the only thing you can do is encourage them. You just be near to them. You pray for them. I think that is one of the ways that we live out this idea of getting a good return for their work as we support one another and we help one another succeed. The second thing, verse 10, it says this, if one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. The second thing we do is we pick people up when they fall. We pick people up when they fall. I'm guessing most of you remember the old commercial uh, where there's the lady who has fallen in the bathroom and she, that phrase that has been said over and over, help, I've fallen and I can't get up, right? I don't know if you know this, but the new Apple Watch, uh, it now has something on it that knows if you have fallen and can't get up. Yeah, it measures the trajectory of your wrist and how long you've stayed down and it will contact someone, right? Because honestly, it's dangerous to fall, but it's really dangerous to fall when there's no one around. Some of you are in that place with parents, grandparents. It's dangerous for people to be alone. And we know people who have fallen and have no one to help them get up. And we as a community of people, you as the church, 
you play a role in helping people get up. But unfortunately, often in the church, we kind of harm the people who are hurting. We're not, we're not always the best when people make mistakes, when they fall and they make poor decisions. And so we've created this culture, not just we at Trinity, but just we've created this culture where everything has to be okay. Hey, how's it going? I'm okay. Are you? Like, we have to begin to believe we could be a part of a group of people where it's okay to not be okay. And that in close relationships, we can admit that to one another. That we can be honest, we can be vulnerable, and say, look, things aren't okay right now. I've fallen, and I need someone to help me get back up. The third thing is we offer warmth during cold times. It says, also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Maybe this means physically, and, and some of you uh, experience that in the, the way of a spouse, but I think it's more than that. I, I think we begin to wonder, where do people go in the worst moments of their life? The worst moments of their life. Uh, the woman whose husband is abusive, where does she go? Where is there a safe place for her to go and to share about that without being judged or condemned? Where's the man go whose wife is leaving him and threatening divorce? The one who leaves, loses their job because of a bad decision, maybe even tied to a moral failure, where do they go? Where do they go in those cold moments of their life when the results come in and they're not good and they're not sure of what the future is going to look like? Where do they go? What, what could happen if we as a community would say, we're here? Like honestly, like, and, and show up in the lives of people in those, those moments when they're alone. But see, here's the deal. Just me saying it won't make it happen. Like friendships and community are things that are formed. They're not just found. Like we have to pour into those things. And then finally, at the end of that, he says, a cord of three strands isn't easily broken. It's interesting. Uh, it goes from two people to three strands pretty quickly. And I think it's the idea of two people who are connected, but then when Christ is a part of that relationship, it makes it even better. That when difficult things come, you're not easily broken. And so can I encourage you again? The, the church is got to be much more than just come and participating in a service. Like, this is really important to me. This is important for us to come together. Something happens when we gather with one another and we're near to one another and we sing with one another and we pray together and we shake hands or we hug. There's something beautiful about the church coming together. But as we looked last week, the church was about way more than just going to a service. It was about connection and it was about community and it's not about just getting what we need from it. But it's, it's an opportunity to really, in the cold, dark moments when we fall, to know we have a group of people around us. And so can I, I talked about it earlier, and, and maybe it's not the right thing for you, but the supper clubs are just a simple way to try and help people get connected. There are a lot of people here who have been here for 20 or 25 years, and we have a lot of people here who have been here for a year. There, there's people here, um, side note, uh, that, that sit in one section uh, and people who sit in another, I'm not looking at anybody specifically, um, but there's people who, uh, who have their seat and sit in their section, who I've been with them 
in the last week and they didn't know the other person went to Trinity. And what happened was, it was like, well, what section do you sit in? And what section do you sit in? Oh, well, there's no rubbing of shoulders. And so it might be really uncomfortable, but maybe pick a new section next week, right? Or just a different row, like a different part in the row, right? That I have such hope for what our lives could look like. I mean, I'm optimistic, maybe to a fault at times, but I know my own heart. I know what I need. I, I, I can't do life alone. When I'm hurting, when I'm in need, and I'm so thankful that I have my wife, but I'm also thankful that I have a group of people who I can go to and I can be honest. I can be vulnerable and recognize my need. Maybe the supper club's not for you. Uh, maybe it's just making a phone call and having a cup of coffee with someone. It's checking in with a friend you haven't seen in a while. It's texting or maybe even meeting uh, in person or on the phone. My alarm, my kid alarm's going off uh, right now. And we're, we're done, okay? We're going to be almost done. It's my cue. But I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for what, what this could look like. But it won't happen on accident. It won't happen on accident. And so if you're here and you are lonely, know that God understands. That God is near to you. That Jesus, at the end of his life, when he needed someone the most, he found himself alone. And so he gets it. And then may we, Greg, you can go and come up. May we be the kind of friends that help others succeed, that we're secure enough in ourselves that we celebrate when good things happen for other people, that we watch out for friends when they fall and we help pick them up, and that we give warmth in the darkest days of the lives of the people around us. In the worst days of our lives, who do they go to and where do they turn? Would you stand as I pray and we sing our final song? God, thanks for today. Thanks for an opportunity to just be honest and look at something that impacts a lot of us, maybe not right now, but in seasons, and there's many of us who know someone. And so, God, would you not allow us um, really to go another day expecting those who we know are lonely or alone to crawl out on their own? God, would you help us to be the kind of people uh, that recognize that and we move and we love and we care for. Help us to be the kind of people when we're away from this place that we just need to get back to be together. That we find energy and encouragement here to leave this place and to do what you've called us to do. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for grace and for mercy. Thank you because he understands and he's paid the price. We find freedom and hope. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.